Hey you and welcome to Pillars, here to inspire you with personal stories from LGBTQ people who have overcome their own social, cultural or psychological challenges and use those very personal experiences to motivate their own self-empowerment. I'm Jordan Yediman and I believe that individual self-empowerment is key to strengthening our community. So I want to introduce you to some of our amazing community pillars to hear their stories, learn from their lessons and find out what advice they might have for people in similar circumstances. Let's strengthen the community by empowering individuals because we can't build a home out of broken bricks. We need pillars. Okay, so picture this. It's a freezing cold, dark January night. I am running from Liverpool Street Station in torrential rain to Aaron's house in Spitalfields. I've got an umbrella in one hand, a bottle of wine in the other, and I am greeted at the door by Aaron's big beaming smile and his three gorgeous little pugs, Bowser, Bruce and Gaston. I'm honestly so pleased that he agreed to have this conversation and obviously that he agreed to have a bottle of wine on a Tuesday evening. I was actually introduced to Aaron through a mutual friend. They'd worked for UK Black Pride together, but I knew him because of the Beyonce experience, and I'd been following his success since he blew up on Britain's Got Talent in 2015. What started as a bit of holiday banter at Sitch's Pride has grown to become one of the biggest international drag performances and probably the most acclaimed Beyonce impersonator in recent years. Before I met Aaron, I thought his story was a nice example of being in the right place at the right time but I was wrong. To dilute his journey with cliches would be a massive discredit to his hard work, his tenacity, and his willingness to take any opportunity which manifests through his courage. For me, Aaron's story represents how not following your passions but following your curiosity can lead you to new and exciting paths. And if you trust in yourself enough, then one day you might just become Beyonce. Since recording, the entire country went into lockdown and a lot of the things that we spoke about would have been affected. I texted Aaron to see how he was getting on, how he was coping and how the pandemic has affected his work, the Beyonce experience and Black Pride. He told me he was keeping busy but that lots of his bookings have had to cancel and with the news of UK Black Pride having to postpone this year's celebration, we decided to have a bit of a catch up to discuss Aaron's new game plan for the Beyonce experience and UK Black Pride. found really compelling about you which was the fact that you just seemed to be ready and available to take on opportunities that came to you and of course you've worked incredibly incredibly hard but I think it's really um, obvious from your story that you yeah that you were just kind of willing able ready to kind of take on that opportunity and just to say like I'll give it a go would you agree is that something you would say is that true I would I mean it's it's one of those things I think actually where when you think about your own story, you never actually think that it's it's compelling or interesting or anyone would actually want to hear it. Mm. And a lot of the time, you know, if you are telling your own story, people aren't that interested in it. Um, so actually, it probably helped me as much as it helped you in terms of when you when you are you know when you you're questioned about what you've done and how you know how far you've come and what you've had to do to get through that, you do think, do you know what? It might not inspire everyone, but it will definitely inspire some. Mm. And if there's one thing missing from when I was growing up, and especially when trying to figure out what it is I wanted to do work-wise, there was nothing there, was nothing there for mm. me to look at. Yeah, yeah. Especially from the queer community. Yeah, you know, The queer community of me growing up was basically uh, go-go boys in clubs. <laughs> yeah. Like, that was the inspiration, really, that you'd see most days. And magazines were just full of topless guys absolutely like, no one really talked about I agree that and none of them look like me or me you know? <laughs> so. so yeah I mean and also uh, the reason I'm saying thank you is because actually 
that conversation and noticing that about your story actually has made me give me a bit of a boost and a bit of confidence about this project because you know when I first started as well I said that if if 10 people listen to this and and are, and are happy with it and like the stories and are inspired by it and that's great I'd rather that you know than have thousands of people just like not bothered about it mm-hmm. so again thank you so much also Hi. also we have um a shared friend Natalie also told me that you just she said the great thing about Aaron is he just does what needs to be done <laughs> yeah that's my downfall as well because I I will generally just get shit done whether it's my job somebody else's I'm a bit of a control freak okay but I will just get it done and it's, it's to my detriment most times but actually you do benefit from just getting stuff done yeah you know? Okay, so my downfall is the opposite, is that I struggle to start, I generally don't get shit done, I will get shit done if I have to, but it's always last minute, so I guess... How do I get shit done? Good question. Do you know what? I think it's come from my failures more than anything. Mm. Um, I'm a big dreamer. I really, really am. I spend far too long in the shower thinking about what I want to do and how I want to do it. Within any capacity of my life, I really do. Um, But actually, when I look back and I understand why things didn't work... It's always my fault. Mm. I cannot blame anyone for my failures. I can't say, oh, it was the economy. No one bought tickets. No one knew about something. I can always understand why something hasn't worked. And then I really want to learn from that. And I, I know people say, oh, learn from your failures and everything. But actually, I don't think people part, you know, the the um the quote the inspirational quote aside i don't think people know how to learn from failures mm. or even how to fail and that's that sounds weird how do you fail well you fail by not preparing mm. <laughs> you know time um time waits for no man and you know things will just drive by you i can't believe we spoke in what december i know we were just saying this upstairs weren't we that like time has just gone so fast and you've you are like multi multi-skilled like (laughs) multi-jobbed do you know what you say multi-skills I just say I'm the jack of all trades in many ways but that's not a bad thing anymore because I think nowadays you can make money from being a jack of all trades you can make money from anything that you do in your life cool Um, so I think about if I take myself way back to kind of even wanting to um, being at school and thinking about going to uni I did not want to go to uni and I went to a school where everyone pretty much just went to uni. It was the done thing. Um, and I was like, this isn't for me. I don't want to do this. So I applied for unis. Um, I got into three <clears throat> for me to choose. And even going to like the, you know, the the open days, yeah. I was, I, my heart was just not in it. I was mm. not excited. I wasn't even worried about things like student debt or what I was going to do after my career, you know, after the degree or anything. All I was thinking of, I just don't want to go to uni. It's just not for me. What was it about uni that didn't draw you in? Because obviously, I guess for some people, like freedom, moving away from the family and stuff is like Mm. the big draw. But like, what was it that you were just like, no, that's not for me? Do you know what? I think at the time I didn't know what it was I wanted to do. And what I didn't want to do was spend three years trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, And then get to the end. Yeah, maybe with a degree, but... And maybe find out what I want to do. But I feel a lot of people that go to uni just fall into something and then they find out what it is they wanted to do. And I was too impatient. 
This one's climbing on my lap. Just to let you know. So who are these in the room? We've got... <laughs> so we've got my three pugs. They're probably better here than anywhere else in the house. <laughs> There's seven floors in this house, and no matter where they are, you can hear them. But you've got Bowser there. He's only six months. This one is so welcome. So he's a way. little little eager beaver. I've got Bruce here, and Gaston's being a very good boy in his bed. So I'm going to put all these back in the bed. Bed. Go on. <laughs> oh my god, they're bed. so well behaved. <laughs> most most days but yeah going back to it so I think with university just wasn't for me and I think if there's one thing I've learned is that I will only ever do what I want to do nice um, and I've always been that way um, to the point where I will be very set in my ways um, kind of with that so then I had to think about okay what is it I want to do <clears throat> And at the time, I really wanted to join the police. Mm. I think, actually, I just wanted to be a superhero. <laughs> honestly, I thought, what's the closest thing to being a superhero? Let me join the police. That was honestly my thinking. Yeah. And I did. I was uh, working, my, um, working in my mum's pub at the time. And during my lunch break on a Sunday, I went upstairs. I like, was looking for forces online that were applying. And I'm from Suffolk. Mm. But I didn't want to didn't want to apply for that because I thought I'm going to be arresting my friends and people are like no. <laughs> so okay, let me go one ta- one county across. Let me go to Essex. <laughs> I was too scared of London, right? You yeah. know, at 17, I was like Essex is a you know a happy medium. Um, I literally spent 15 minutes on the application. They said this application is probably going to take you about two to three hours. I did it in 15 minutes, mm. um, <laughs> and I got in. Mm. I got in, but uh, I was supposed to start uni before I knew I'd got in. Right. So I had to confess to family and friends and say, do you know what? I'm not going to go to uni. I might get into the police. And everyone was saying, you'll never get into the police. Who are you to think you're a police officer? You're scrawny. Wow. I was, I was, I was 18 at the time. I was actually officially the youngest ever police officer in Essex. Wow. You have to be 18 and a half. And I literally was that uh, when I actually joined. Um, and everyone was like, why you, you would never be a police officer. What do you think you are? Who do you think you are trying to get into the police? You will not make it. They will not accept you. For what reason were you not going to be a police officer? Like, no, I don't think anyone ever told me reasons as to why I wouldn't be. It was just a very frank, mm. no. The only person that said go for it was my granddad. Mm. And he said, you know what? You do whatever it is you want to do. Mm, nice. There was no judgment, which is actually quite funny because my granddad is actually gay. Mm, okay. He got married, uh, had three kids, and then in the sixties, when it became legal, he came out. Okay, nice. So he, you know, he for a long time, um, he was uh, my confidant um, with a lot of things. Even though I came out quite late, had you come out to him before that? Prior? I hadn't. No, no, no I hadn't. Um, he always knew, but you know, he he did the right thing in letting me discover it, and yeah. you know, he was just always there as and when. I was at that stage to discuss things. Do you think he had like that inkling in him and that's why he was like pushing you to go forward and do what you could do because he never had the chance. I don't know. This is like the narrative I've just created in my head. head, But but do you know what? The narrative is right. And you know, you've only got to think about someone like Philip Schofield who just came out, you know, and you think, oh, what a devastating story. But there's so many people Mm. in that situation at all stages of their lives living that lie uh, for whatever reason. And it's right. Just let people come out as and when they want to or just discover themselves when they want to. That's so wonderful that you had that, that you had that support there with you. Um, 
so you, so you went in Suffolk. You went to school. Yes. Yeah. Were there people out of your school in Suffolk? Not at all. No. Like you weren't out at school. You know, no. back in the, you know, in the in the nineties, you were not out at all. No. Um, and it's really interesting knowing, you know, guys that were in my year that have come out. Yeah. I was always think, wow. Like, imagine if we just all got together and just like had you know been able to be ourselves around right. each other. We had, had, a had that group. Oh, you know. <gasps> Imagine having someone to talk to at like 14, 15. This is so important. So I do work in schools where I go in and I speak about um, my experience of coming out at school. And I, and, I, and I explain that I didn't have anybody in school to talk to and that people have come out since and I've seen on Facebook they were their boyfriend or whatever. Mm. And had I had that, I would know. And it's just, it's so true that actually like, it's so interesting, it's so important to have to have that, to have someone to talk to. I had nobody to talk to. I mean, I was in Devon as well. So like really, people. really out of the <laughs> yeah. way. Less people, any type of people, you know, everyone mm. was straight and, and white and uh, and that's what it was. So anything different was just so weird and, and wrong. So it's it's kind of, the reason I asked that question is because, you know, you are a bit closer to London and... Yeah. I got it all the time. I was always the one that would be called gay boy, mm-hmm. you know, for whatever reason, you know, and it's, it's weird to think, hold on, I don't play if I am yet. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. I'm being called this. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. But it's also one of the things where it's very much an open secret, but I don't think anyone knew how to talk about it. Mm. How do you ask someone if they're, if they're gay and... Why would you ask them yeah, yeah. As, as well? Well, I, I was asked, but not very nicely. Of course. So of course, not being asked yeah. nicely. Of course, it was always a no because I'm not going to be. Uh, I'm not going to admit to the thing that I that you're asking me mm-hmm. in a negative way if I am or not. I'm not going to be like, yes, I'm that horrible weird thing that you're asking me. Or totally. So, yeah. so who? Did, so you came out. So you came out to your granddad first. I didn't actually. I was actually outed. Um, working in working in my mum's pub um, I actually had one of my mum's barmaids tell her that I was gay she'd actually seen me kissing a boyfriend at the time at the tender age of 16 in um, in a um, in a in a gay club and she went and told my mum so she was in the club she was in the club and she (laughs) told my mum Uh, can you imagine? Not your imagine? son is in a club, he's only 16. He yeah, kiss he's boy. kissing a boy. That was that was it. That was what she said. And for me, that was horrible. Like, mm. I really struggled mm. just being able to say I'm gay. I don't... Do you know what? I, the first time I ever actually said I'm gay was when I was um, training in the police. Right. And um, one, of the, one of the girls that I'd, you know, made friends with um, actually asked me. And like you say, it was probably the first time actually when it asked me completely, you know, you know, just as part of a conversation uh, in a positive, you know, positive light. Oh, you know, are you gay? I was like, I am gay. Mm. <laughs> I thought, oh, oh, I've just outed myself yeah, in the right. police, you know, on day, on week one of a 16 week training program. Um, but, you know, in the police, it was very much always a case of I never had one piece of homophobic slur within the police or or anything um i got it once from um let's call him a a little scrug that we you know we used to chase down the streets um and it was only because i caught him as polite yeah i ran you know was running after him caught him and he turned around and called me a a queer bent bastard i thought call me what you want because you're going to jail (laughs) how was being outed for you affected maybe your like uh, your kind of engagement in your sexuality going mm. forward from that point? 
again, I think because I was I was always doing what I wanted to do, and as much as I was maybe not telling people what I was doing or, or what I was thinking, I also wasn't lying about it. Okay. So when I got home that night and my mum was waiting, um, I have the best mum, I must mm. say that. And you know, despite my family completely sh- being shattered when my granddad came out, you know, only less than twenty years later, I'm now doing the same thing. So I always had that fear in, in my head that my, you know, if I come out it's going to break up my family again. And as a young kid, that's really quite yeah. scary to think mm. I'm the one that's going to break up the family. Not a divorce, not an affair. I could, and I didn't want to break that up. And I thought somewhere in my you know, wild thinking, I, thought, oh, I would and nothing would ever be the same again. But I think the one thing that hurt me was that when my mum asked me, I, you know, I said yes, um, I can't, can't. Can't deny it. I've been caught red-handed. <laughs> so we were kissing for fun. Although boys do it now. You, you didn't back in the day, yeah, you know. Um, and what hurt me more was that she said, I can't believe you've had this secret for so long. The biggest thing that hurt me was that you didn't feel that you could tell me. You know, I mm. always thought I was a, a cool mum and one that you come speak to. And I really had to educate her on it and say, it wasn't that I didn't want to come and tell you. It was more about I didn't know, I hadn't said it to myself yet. Mm. I don't know what I am. Mm. I don't I still don't know what it is. Yes, I'm I may be gay or I'm attracted to to boys, but what is that? Yeah. Like I haven't explored that. So I don't know what it is. So to turn around because you know when you say well I'm gay, that's not the end of the conversation. Then comes the questions. Yes, of course. And I I don't know the you don't answers, have answers to them. for those things. I think the thing is there's always such a big emphasis on coming out. Mm. And I'm kind of like ambivalent to how I feel about coming out, the need to come out, the context in which you come out, who do you come out to, what do you say, like, at what point do you come out, do you even need to come out? And I'm like, for everyone who's come out, there seems to be this over, like, arching kind of idea that you, it's always going to be a struggle before beforehand. And at some point, there seems to be some relief. And it's really nice that you had that. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't. It still wasn't easy. Thing. Like, it still took time to adjust. You know, even to adjust to my mum knowing um, was weird. Mm. It was weird, and you know, I didn't want to have conversations with my mum about it as, as a whole. It. You know, I, did, I didn't want to have those conversations yet. But I, I think, if anything, the, the whole coming out and how it was done and how I felt before and afterwards really set me on a path to become who I'm becoming today. Great. And I think if I didn't have that experience, I would be probably be that guy that met a girl, had kids, were married, had a house all by 30, mm-hmm. um, you know, still living in a small town because you had no need to move out and everything's there and everyone loves you and knows you. Not to, not to, you know, anyone down for for, for for doing that but I think for me I always wanted more yeah but this I, wasn't you it wasn't me and I think being gay is probably now one of the especially now I think is probably one of the best qualities you could have it's your superpower yourself. it is my superpower <laughs> it really really is and it does it reflects on everything I do in the world yeah you know? and being gay isn't just your sexuality it's you know it's how you're brought up and how you how you learn things and I always felt that I had to learn a lot quicker than other kids. Everything. I had to be yeah. streetwise a lot earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, I had to think about absolutely everything. And a, a funny story. I was in Tesco's the other day with my boyfriend and this guy shouted at me for 
walking towards the um, self-checkouts with him. And I just about passed him and he just shouted a slur and said, oh, you can, you know, effing wait behind me. I just ignored it. You know, I just carried on, just scanned my items. Well, my boyfriend nearly kicked off. He was like, don't talk to him like that. I'm like, Matthew, this is not the, Mm. this is not the time, you know, pick, only pick your fights, but this is not even a fight. Like, let's just go, let's just go home. Let me have his say and go. And small things like that are because I'm gay. It's because I'm thinking about every single possible outcome Mm -hmm. on anything. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think every gay goes through that. You know, they always think about, if I speak to this person, how am I going to speak to this person? If I say yeah. this, can I have my opinion? Is my opinion valid? That's actually so um, interesting you say that because my mum was here for Christmas, or just before Christmas actually, we went to this pub, we actually went to the Glory. Uh, with your mum? Yeah, that's with my cool, mum. Right? I went before with her and she, um, oh, that's another story for another time. <laughs> but, you know, we were in there the other day and there was a couple in there who were like being all smoochy and stuff. Then all their friends came in and they were being very, very, straight these like three couples that are coming and I was had a few drinks and I jokingly was like go to your own bar and blah 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 and my mum was like oh no they're probably in here because they feel comfortable in here and I was like cool they feel comfortable in every other space I was like mm. I have to come to these spaces to feel comfortable and she said no and you know she didn't understand until I explained to her that actually sometimes I'll you know it's difficult when you get onto a bus and it's full of like youngsters and you're like yeah and you're wondering is that snigger about you or you walk into a straight club and you're the only visible gay in there and you're wearing the best clothes wearing the <laughs> yeah, best clothes by yeah, the way that's they're looking at you <laughs> yeah and the best dance moves yeah. but um but like you are wondering it's like and then you have these conversations which is like hey mate are you gay cool why don't you go to speak to steve and i'm like this is really like yeah. this is really awkward you put him in a real i don't even know who steve is like i didn't meet him on the gay induction day but like actually <laughs> like i don't want to go so i mean it wasn't until i had that conversation with her that she realized that you know that was actually a a, a thing that we have to navigate every single day and you, you're absolutely right we have to grow up a lot quicker we have to be a lot more aware and a lot more alert uh, but do you know what even Going into the police, being so young. That's what I was going to ask you. Like, what? I was not ready. No. I was not ready. As a gay person or as a young person? As a young person, as a gay black person in the police. You know, I was a gay black police officer at 18. Mm. Like, to think that you've got things against mm-hmm. you that people do not like. Mm-hmm. Um, I was all of those things. Um, I was everything that people hated. If you, no one likes all, you know, one of those three things. They're anti-police, <laughs> anti-gay or anti-black. Yeah. And I'm all three. Right. Um, but it was the best j curve of life experience i could ever have did you ever feel like that growing up though did you feel like awareness of your race and your sexuality and like how i mean how was it yeah, was it amplified it's... when you joined the police because of that or was it was it something you'd already had like do you know what? it was really funny growing up um in suffolk so i um, grew up in ipswich and even my primary school was still predominantly white but there was black and asian kids in there but funnily, a lot of the racism, and I call it like I call it like hard racism now, and I probably didn't know at the at, at the mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. was um, directed at the Asian kids. Right. And again, okay. I think that was because there was less of them. Okay. There was still, I would probably say, what seventy percent white, twenty percent black, ten percent Asian, and I think the black kids at my school pretty much ran the school as as well. Mm-hmm. So, but the it would be the white kids that were still throwing the racial slurs at the Asian kids and it was it was it was horrible but I think also at school it was it was accepted that these 
just ran into the bin. We've just got dogs going crazy when we're talking about <laughs> it. Just ran into the Bowser, bed. Oh, look at him. He just ran into a bed and now he's been told off. Look at that face. That's the face of please don't tell me off. Um, I wouldn't have told you what <laughs> if it was up to me. Getting back to that deep topic, racism in schools. Um, yeah, it was. So as much as I was aware of the racism, it wasn't directed at me. No. And jumping forward, actually, that's why I'm now, I volunteer for Black Pride mm-hmm. because so many times I've been in the position where I've not been the voice where I thought I needed to be yeah. to stop it for other people. And I'm like, fuck, why did I not say anything in that situation? Why did I not support that person and or, or in anything? It was a joke, but why did I why am I not the one to to have called that out? Because normally I was. With anything else I was. But when it came to race, I or LGBT, I really wasn't. It's because I was dealing with myself. Mm-hmm, I didn't want to put myself Absolutely. On that power so thing. now you're volunteering with Black Pride, which is like mm-hmm. the intersection of both of those wonderful parts of your identity. Like what does that mean to you to be part of that? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's now, you know, I can look back at everything I'm doing now, but it's probably the one thing that I do so selfless, selflessly mm. um, and with a very, very clear objective. I have my own objective of what I want Black Pride to be and what I want my involvement to be. Mm. And a lot of that comes down to I need to give people this platform Mm. and I need to be able to push it out there to people that don't know about Black Pride. You know, Black Pride is now in its 15th year Mm. and there are people in London, black LGBT people in London that don't know about Black Pride. That's so crazy. (laughs) That's so crazy. You know, That's and so we need to be pushing it out there and getting it out there to, to them as well. So, um, Josh Rivers actually explained it to me better than probably I could have said myself. And I, it's all about, we are, you know, Black Pride is part of every other single Pride. We're at every single Pride around the country, you know, mainly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not about that. It's actually about celebrating our own lived experiences, which is mm-hmm. different and Black Pride's for everyone. You can come along. Just be very respectful and mindful that this space specifically, you know, for one day of the year, it's for us to get together and celebrate our upbringing, you know, and being gay in our culture. And that's all it is. And that's what we're talking about here. My my element of that is, you know, being that black gay police officer, I, I'm my own box. You know, <laughs> no one else can. Yeah. There's not many people that can that, that can say that. And now I'm now I do Beyonce as well in drag. So so, <laughs> so coming on to that because actually that that leads quite nicely onto that because this thing about you being um, the only black gay police officer. Mm. Let's go to Sitch's Pride where <laughs> you told me you were the only mixed race <laughs> drag queen that day. Um, let's go to Sitch's. Okay. Oh yes, please. I love. Sitches. I love. Sitches. <laughs> let's talk about that because this is the bit that like I'm just excited for. Sure, sure. So um, I had my business, uh, my digital media business, for about five years, and this is after you left the police. After right? I left the so, police, yeah. um, I started my own business. You know, I had no money, no experience, no qualifications. So starting the business was hard mm-hmm. you know in 2008 with the recession mm-hmm. I decided to start a media business <laughs> naivety comes into play there a lot um, fast forward five years it got to the point where that creative side had gone right. you know I wasn't the you know I wasn't working in coffee shops anymore and going to meetings and working half days I was busy and mm. I was working probably 18 20 hour days sleeping in the office and then starting work again 
pretty much seven days a week and I was doing that for three years you know it was yeah. not easy I had zero friends I didn't do anything socially unless it was networking to get clients to get business and it paid off you know it really paid off that hard work really mm -hmm. paid off mm -hmm. we were now doing really well we had a team of eight I was running a business I was a CEO of a small to medium business problem with that is that I never wanted to be right. <laughs> so um, dealing with Finances, accounting, HR, clients, invoicing, that's not me. And you were doing all of that. I was doing all of it. I was doing yeah. all of it. Um, so we were going to Sitges and my, my best friend, um, Matt, said, you know, darling, we need a holiday. <laughs> Let's go to Sitges. And I said, oh, my company. Thank has God for Matt. <laughs> Thank God for Matt. Well, he never needs convincing of a holiday. <laughs> he just forced me to book another holiday paid for it himself and said, you, you owe me this money. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, so we went, and obviously I'd, I'd been to Sitges before, and probably two years, this was 2014 that I went. So in 2012, 13, we went and filmed for the tourist board. And they said, right, well, you can come to all the parties, obviously we'll, we'll get you in. So there was like the classic, the jungle party, yeah. the white night, the black <laughs> nights, the drag night, you know, the pool parties. <laughs> so I said to my friends, look, we sh we're going to go to the drag. <laughs> you were doing I was doing this. Like, we were doing it. We're doing everything. I want a white outfit, a black outfit, a Good. jungle outfit, everything. I was that's like, how we're I pack. doing the that's drag. That's how I pack anyway. Definitely. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I packed to go to work. Um, I said, we're doing this. Um, so we all put together our drag, you know, from... Primark makeup, um, yeah, Primark makeup, new look dresses, Obviously. plastic wigs, not even like synthetic wigs, plastic wigs. From Partyland. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> we're not lying. And we all got dressed up that night, <clears throat> this was early on in the week, and um, went down to the beachfront. I mean, we all looked horrendous. Talk about like the worst of a Spice Girls tribute <laughs> reunion brat. Imagine like five dads trying to become the Spice Girls. That's pretty much what we were. But I think I looked quite good. I did look at my friends and just burst out laughing. And even now, we randomly send those photos to each other and it just makes me laugh all yeah, the time. But great. I think I looked quite good. You know, I was a little bit younger. I was naturally thin, you know, <laughs> bronzed because of the sun. Um, naturally worked. Um, yeah, you know, there wasn't many black people there. Definitely no black people in drag. <laughs> no. So people kept calling me Beyonce. Oh, Beyonce, are you performing tonight? Like, oh, do they think I'm Beyonce? No, I'm the only black person there, so obviously I'm Beyonce. Um, it was a racial slur. It was a racial it really was. Um, but getting to, by the time we got to the beach front, which was probably a 10-minute walk, which probably took about 40 minutes because everyone wanted photos. Everyone wanted, uh, everyone, you know, had told the organisers, oh, we're waiting for Beyonce to come on. So they're like, good. we have no Beyonce <laughs> performing. So is this like a small, like... It, well, like, you right. think it's small. Citrus Pride is, it's a, it's a gorgeous, quaint town. It's absolutely yeah. lovely. You haven't been, go. Their prize, their bear prize, their festivals are incredible. And it's a real family family affair. Like, okay. there's families and kids and everything. Mm. and Not in the evenings, that's a different ball game. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> Uh, so the organizer came up to me and said, look, you need to get on the stage and do a Beyonce song. I was like, oh, no, 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 I can't do that. They said, look, come back on, um, I think it was Saturday, come back on Saturday <laughs> night, do it then. Everyone can come backstage, you know, you can have some drinks. I'm like, yeah, okay. The next morning, sitting on the beach, I thought to myself, oh my God, I've got, a, I've got to do a Beyonce performance in this tacky drag that I've got. It was like, cost me no more than 30 quid. I was like, how embarrassing. So I started talking to it amongst my friends and 
this guy called Russell turned around and said, excuse me, I've just been listening to what you're saying. Are you doing a Beyonce drag <laughs> thing? And he's like, uh, yeah. I said, well, I'm a makeup artist from Modern Family on Sky so One. I'm here. I've, I've literally come straight from a job. So I've got my whole makeup here. I will do your makeup. That's so good. I mean, <laughs> I was like, yes, please. Literally. He came to my hotel room, did my makeup. Um, we went and did a dress run and the organisers were there and they'd given me two boy dancers and I gave them the grown woman music, <laughs> no, live video from uh, Beyonce. Chime for change, Beyonce <laughs> experience, grown woman. Watch that. That was my first ever performance. But they gave me these two dancers. These white boys could not do these dance <laughs> mood routines. I, I kid you not. And the organiser said to me, he actually said, you're like, Aaron, you're an absolute superstar. But... These dancers aren't going on go. stage. They've got to go. You're doing it on your own. I was like, what? I've never performed on my own. And all I did was spend the day re-watching the six-minute video. So you've been a police officer before that, then running a media company. Had you ever done any performance or theatre or... Zero. Dance or the anything la- The last thing I did was uh, I was Peter... Uh, what's it called? Um, the Pied Piper in year four. <laughs> so <laughs> it's been a while. School. Been a while. And then you're preparing for like your headlining Beyonce <laughs> uh, impersonation at Sitch's Pride. Well, the Thursday wasn't that busy. There was probably only three, four hundred people at the beachfront. It's quite a lot. I, I guess <laughs> in comparison though, on the Saturday night, there was 10,000 people. Shit. I honestly couldn't tell you how the performance went if we hadn't have recorded it. If I hadn't have watched it back, I couldn't have told you if I stood still, if I fell down, if I performed, if I did anything. However, that video made its way onto YouTube. Yeah. Had quite a few views on multiple channels around Absolutely. Spain. It made yeah. its way <laughs> to the UK before I'd even got back. Mm-hmm. And then everyone was tagging or mentioning the video. You should do Britain's Got, got talent. talent. You should do Britain's Got Talent. I was like, are you kidding? Like, this is not what I do. Yeah, I don't have an act. I don't have an act. <laughs> I'm not a performance. I don't have a skill. I don't have a talent. You know, I run a business in, <laughs> in London and I'm barely holding on to that. Like, I'm struggling to do that. Um, and I got a call from Britain's Got Talent. So they literally called you up. And they were like, you should uh, you should apply for Britain's Got Talent this year. We've seen your video. We love it. Well, I obviously thought that was the call that meant like I was getting through to the finals and they loved me and they saw me as one of the, the, the headline acts. Yeah. I didn't know how it worked. Um, and I literally sat there and thought, I'm so stressed with this with this business. I'm not doing what I want to do. This can just be a creative outlet. Yeah, well, Let it be fun. Like, fuck it. Why not? What am I actually going to lose from from doing this? And this is what I like. This is what I love about you is the fact that like you're you've you did you were doing a completely different thing. So an office opportunity and you were like, yeah, I'm going to have never done this before. I'm going to go for it for national TV. Totally. And I honestly I went on thinking I was going to be like, you know, the jokey fun act that they buzz with in three seconds. Like that yeah. was my but I thought, Do you know what? Let me have that experience. Why not? What's the worst thing that can happen? And then my best friend, Matt, again, said, no, 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 no. If you're going to do this, you've got to get dancers. You need to learn. You need to get a costume. God, I love Matt. Oh, God. <laughs> and I was like, it became a chore already. And this yeah. was just going to be for fun. But it was. It was, um, we'd auditioned for dancers. We didn't pay them anything because I had no money for it. My nan and I went to a charity shop and bought a black sequin cocktail dress and turned it into uh, a bodysuit. Um, I asked um, someone to come and do my makeup and I bought two cheap wigs from Brixton and sewed them together <laughs> to give me a big old beehive. <laughs> um, 
and it was such a whirlwind. So, okay, so you walk out onto the stage of Britain's Got Talent. Mm-hmm. I, I watched it so many times and you're like, hey, they go, hey, what's your name? And you go, it's Aaron. And everyone like, starts laughing <laughs> and cheering and just like, everyone's so shocked. Like what, like, what is it like to like walk out in front of all those people knowing that you're actually on national television? You've got like mm. Simon Cowell and stuff all sat there. Like, what's going through your head at that point? What's going through my head? Do you know what? I don't think anything was going through my head. You're not a performer. This I'm is, not a performer. This is the thing that we've got I'm, to remember. Is you're not, not a performer. performer. At this point. Um, yeah, what was going? Through, I don't think anything was going through my head. I think actually, I was just living that moment. Yeah. For whatever yeah, it was yeah, going to be. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yes, I had the fear of oh, they're going to buzz within thirty seconds. And I actually said to myself, when you hear the buzz, don't let it put you off. Like, yeah. keep going. Okay, that was what cool. I was. That's what okay, I was cool. thinking. No, thank God, no one, no one no, buzzed. But no um, again, when you, but you, when you say that, when you say, you know, they saw this, you know, drag queen come out on stage, and I say, my name's Aaron, and they all laughed. Again, that's what I love because there's me like fucking with gender and drag and mm. just putting something in front of TV that they're not used to. Mm, and yeah. I quite like that I'm like yeah. Eh. because these things like drag for example and like gender bending or whatever you want to call it these are like kind of generally reserved for like queer spaces and they're totally they're, you, yeah. know, for, you know you go to a gay bar or a queer bar and you see a drag show yeah. um, you don't see it on TV and if you do it's very much the drag that I think everyone has seen before it's mm. that dare I say um, very panto s kind of Dame drag. No, I, think I agree. That I would agree. Have seen so to see you know someone who you know I don't paint massive eyebrows and big old faces. I really tone it down and I I try and look like a, a woman. You and know? also, not only that, you went like for the big time. You went for Beyonce, and yeah. we didn't really have a choice. <laughs> but you went for Beyonce, and and people loved it. They absolutely loved it. They really did. I mean, I was waiting to be trolled. I did go on thinking, I didn't, come on, I didn't think going on thinking, oh, I'm Beyonce. I did go on thinking, I'm going to get trolled for this. But to the point where I was ready to like do a, a mean tweets video. <laughs> I'm so annoyed. I think it won. <laughs> One guy said, oh, this is a poor man's Beyonce. And I said, you're damn right. I made that costume <laughs> from a charity shop with my mum, or my, with my grandma. Like, thanks for noticing. Thanks for noticing. Yeah. A lot of hard work went into that. Yeah, <laughs> um, good. And that was it. And actually, my response to that was, he's like, I really respect you. And this was just like a 40-year-old white guy. He's like, yeah, I love that. I love that. And I think actually with Beyonce, that's what I've always tried to do. I don't perform in a lot of queer spaces. Partly because actually there's a lot of people that are doing it amazingly better than I am and doing a fantastic job at it. But I've always kind of had the objective, and it is an objective, is if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to make something of it, I want to put it in front of an audience that have not seen this before. Mm. Um, and it's amazing how many people haven't seen it. And mm. and that, that baffles me. You know, we, as queer people, see drag and entertainment as our daily lives. You know, yeah. we walk down the street with headphones in and we're doing a performance to the tube. <laughs> we are doing it. Oh my God, literally. I, literally, you know, every time I do, I run 10K a day on the treadmill, but I can only do it if I've got my soundtrack in my ears. <laughs> And I'm doing the routine. Like, you see my hands. They're doing the routine and, and everything whilst I'm running. <laughs> we, we're used to this. This Literally, is who we are. Yeah. We've been performing in our bathrooms and no, same. on the stairs with our sisters for, for years. I was in the gym the other day in the shower and I was covered in soap in the thing. <laughs> and Dip It Low came on. 
and I, I mean in the shower that's I, amusing I had to call my friend and be like if it low came on I had to restrain myself because there was other men there and I was like these are either going to be my dancers or they're going to beat the shit out of me like, I'm like yeah. I was going to go down to the floor and everything um, mm. but then you're absolutely right but like you, like you said you are putting it in spaces now where like people haven't seen drag before and they haven't seen like impersonations before they haven't seen Beyonce impersonations before so what's got so, so where do you get from Britain's Got Talent to now having this as a business as something which you are running something which you are living every single day do you know again it comes from a very organic process yeah. and it comes from doing what I want to do mm. you know there's a lot of <clears throat> I think a lot um, a lot of people, and I, I can't relate to this because I feel, not that I should, but I feel if I was in a job that I didn't like, where I was living for the weekends, that would drive me insane. And I would rather just quit and find yeah. something I want to do. Yeah. And yes, it's hard. It's hard to, you know, to have a passion, turn it into a, a business, you know, and, and, and make a living from it. It's not an easy thing. Mm. Can it be done? Absolutely. Yeah. But believe me when I say it takes everything. You know, I was in a, uh, when I started my business, I was in a relationship for, you know, three, three, four years. And that relationship pretty much failed because I was giving all of my time to the business. Um, I talk about Matt, my best friend. He's pretty much the only friend I see on a regular basis. And by a regular basis, I mean probably once every three weeks, if we're lucky. Yeah. Because I'm so busy. Yeah. And that is what it takes. But not that it's a bad thing, because I love it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I honestly, I still work 18 hour days. Absolutely. You know, I, I finish work and I come home and I make costumes. You you know what? Sorry. Um, you, you Like you said, you do exactly what you want. And I actually think, like, you've said that several times. And actually, in my head, I'm thinking, do you know what? I do exactly what I want as well. But like in my head, as I'm doing exactly what I want, it's always a little bit like I should have a little bit more consideration about that person or a little bit more that that person. And people have already said to me, you always do what you want. And like it's always been kind of at some kind of detriment or in, in some kind of negative contact. Hearing you say, I do it because I do exactly what I want. And it and I and that's how I that's how I do this. And that's why I enjoy it and stuff is actually such a like a wonderful thing for someone like me to hear who's only ever heard that like doing what they want is going to like end them in the shit. But let's be real, like, there are, <clears throat> you know, there's been times when I've not been able to pay my rent because mm -hmm. I'm not doing what I do. There's been yeah. times where I've been so tired and so drained that I think, oh, this is so hard. I'm, mm. What am I going to do? How do I, how do I continue doing this? It's not easy. There's times when I have zero money for myself. And when I say zero, I don't mean money to pay bills. I mean yeah. zero. There's, not, there's been nothing there. It's not been easy. So what happens then in those moments? Like what's happening in, with you where you're able to be like, i got to keep mm. going because some people can't. Absolutely. And there's been times when I haven't, you know, I haven't been. There's been times where I've had to, you know, um, you know, when I started the business that I was sofa surfing because I had nowhere to live yeah. and still running a business. There's been times when I've gone to new client meetings and had no money to pay for the drinks. Yeah. And I'm just hoping that they offer to pay for them. Mm. Like this wasn't a, this isn't a fairy tale. Yeah. Oh, everything worked out and it's so well. It's nice for me to sit here and say, yes, you know, I've, I've now had a business for, for 10 years and Beyonce for five years and I'm financially secure, but let's not forget those times when mm. I wasn't and I was literally running on empty. But mm. actually I'm still running empty now. It's just a different type of empty. So it might not be a money empty amount. It now may be a creative empty. Right. Got or it. an energy or a motivation empty. Mm. 
it's, it's the same problems. Yeah, of course. But just in different areas. So I guess, I guess the question is because I mean I've been in those situations as well. I think I told you before I was homeless when I was like twenty four, twenty five, twenty six. When I was twenty six, to get out of homelessness, I, I applied for a BA and came to London. The like the only way for me to get money was be like I need to apply for uni to get a grant, mm. to to get a place to live. If someone is in that situation and they are not just that situation, they're feeling like they, there's they're struggling with it. Those are um, important and um, very credible uh, experiences. I think it's one of those things, really, where when when people ask, "Oh, what advice would you give?" I I always I never take advice from people. Yeah. And the reason I never take advice is, and I I use the dragon's den scenario all mm. the time, where you know they're super successful, mm. but when they were starting their business, they picked up uh, yellow pages and a telephone, right. and they made their businesses right. out of that. They picked up a book and they sat there on the phone. They didn't have a computer. They sat on the phone mm-hmm. all day and they called people and they sold. And that's how they made their money. You can't do that today. No, it's called can't. cold calling. You have GDPR. Yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't work. So why would you... Yes, they've grown, but they're not, they still don't have that hunger of, how do I start this business? You've really got to crack that yourself. No one's going to give you advice on how to start your business. You're wasting your money. Find out yourself about mm. what works for you. What I would say, though, is that that is really good advice, by the way. <laughs> but you know what? I, I do. I never. I don't read any self-help books. I don't. I hate motivational quotes or anything like that. I feel. Let me find my way. Only you can find your way. Um, but when it comes to actually <clears throat> giving people advice, um, I just tell them it doesn't get easier. Everyone says, "Oh, it gets easier. It gets easier." No, it doesn't get easier. Which is, I mean, I guess a key lesson to learn and something to bear in mind. Mm. I mean. Especially when you think about those, when you, when you talk about those times where you feel like you can't go on mm. and you have no money, you have, mm. no, you, know, you have no support, how do you continue to mm. go on? I think you only can if, you're, if you are doing what you want to do, mm. when it's not a chore, where you can just do it. Mm. And that self-motivation comes from, I still have a passion for it. Yeah. I've always said, with my business or you know, Beyonce experience, the one time I cannot give 100%, I'll stop. Right. And I have to remind myself about that every single morning. You know, if I'm laying in bed and I think, oh, I don't want to go to the gym this morning. And then I think, oh, you've got to go to the gym <laughs> because you've got to dance for an hour, <laughs> you know, yeah, and you're getting older. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. but if I didn't go to the gym, I would then stop doing Beyonce experience. So Beyonce aside, media aside, what is it that you are doing self-care for you like to you know to look after mm. yourself in these busy busy periods where you are because do you know what like sometimes lying in bed and not going to the gym to, well it's, it's, I know this is an excuse no no but no like, in my head I'm like self care is lying in bed and not going to the gym isn't yeah there? let me let me say just because I say oh, I run 10k every single day on the treadmill because I need to be fit and I need to be healthy there are definitely mornings when I think mm. it's not happening it's not happening yeah. I'm okay with that. Unfortunately, that's like most of my <laughs> But do you know what? It, it, you're absolutely right. That is self-care. Yeah. Um, sometimes I can go a month without doing it. Absolutely. Then I go into a dance rehearsal uh, <laughs> with my dancers, which are all... Actually, my dancers tonight are dancing with Lizzo at the Brit Awards. Cute. So Good. I think to myself, I've got to dance next to them. <laughs> and then I, here I am, 10 minutes into the rehearsal, sweating like right. anything and I think do you know what that's because you didn't go to the gym this month mm. and I go fuck yeah. why didn't I do it 
and then I'll do it. I think with fitness for me, like I hate the gym. Mm. I absolutely hate going. I have no, I get no gratification from going. I don't feel better for it in the mornings or better for it in the afternoons. Um, it just makes me tired to start the day or really tired to end the day. <laughs> like, it's not One thing a great it does thing. do is my, when, I, when we were watching, um, we were watching on YouTube in my housemate. And she was like, oh my God, he has the best bum. <laughs> so I'll tell you, it's doing that for it's you. It's doing that least. for me. But I'm not thinking about that when I'm dripping <laughs> no, of sweat or absolutely. tired at my, at my desk. But it's the perfect example in that no matter what you want to do, as much as I have the freedom to, oh, I'm running my own company, I'm mm. doing Beyonce, I'm mm. doing what I want to do. There are still a hundred things in the day that I do that I don't want to do. So when was your first Pride in London? My first Pride in London. <coughs> because I'm like, story. is that like the Arancati <laughs> homecoming? Like, do you know what? It's that's a scare. That was a scary day. It looked um, like a scary day. That I'm was a scary day. Like. They gave me a 15 minute set. For me, I was like, no, I want a two hour Beyonce set. Yeah, I want to do the full concert. Course, I'm and Beyonce. you give me 15 minutes. Right. Absolutely. I put this. I mixed about 15 different songs <laughs> into 15 minutes. I want to do all of these. Of and I was terrified. I was backstage and I, it, was, it was my first big gig. Like I'd come off the back of Britain's Got Talent mm, yeah. and then straight into Pride in London. Yeah. And that's 15,000 people at Trafalgar Square. Mm-hmm. These are people that I know. And, yeah, and then the internet. And I was thinking, I'm not ready for this. And backstage, I was absolutely terrified. Mm. And there is... Um, you didn't look terrified. On I didn't, but do you know why? Because um, there was a mess up with dressing rooms and I ended up sharing a dressing room with Miss um, Kimberly. Did you? I don't know. <laughs> do you know what? Miss, I was in that dressing room um, getting changed with all my dancers. I bet she was... She was just on fire. Yeah, I bet. She came in. Oh, my God, I'm late. (laughs) I've been to this gig, this gig, this gig. No one's got me a drink. I've lost my assistant. (laughs) I'm on in five minutes. Get my dress on. Where's my hair? Aaron, that's me when I get to work. (laughs) (laughs) Then you you are living the life of Miss Kimberly. And I just looked at her and I thought, oh, my God, you're amazing. Yeah. Like, and... I was on straight after her or maybe right. an act between. Um, and she just said, who are you? What are you doing? I was like, oh, I'm doing Beyonce. She's like, oh my God, that's fabulous. That's amazing. You look amazing. Your dancers are incredible. And then we were backstage together talking, ready to go on. And she did a little bit of singing backstage before she went on. And I just thought, I'm just going to embody her because... Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I still think I'm 30% still Miss Kimberly. Because, <laughs> That's um, a good 30% to have. Do you know what? It's, the, it's my best 30%. Because, it, but it was, again, it was one of those situations where, honestly, if she, if I hadn't met her before I'd gone on, that could have probably been my first and last performance. Yeah, okay. Do you have something special planned this year? Oh, this year. I, I'm currently hand sewing. Uh, how many costumes? Let me think about this. 10, 11... 17, oh my god! I'm currently hand sewing 24 different costumes. And when I mean hand sewing, it's literally <laughs> tiny needle sewing. I think there's probably about 7,500 gems going on one this is costume. Um, I will, but just so you know, I wore a jock strap in my last performance for uni because I <laughs> it was like it was about queer culture, and I was like, I can't bother to make a, co- a costume. Well, I'll if you need it bedazzled, bedazz- I'll do that for you. You know, <laughs> I was like, it's either drag or it's a jock strap, and I was like, I'm not doing any any any, any uh, sequin sewing at this point. Oh. Yeah, I think I think for this year, you know, I I can't believe I've been asked to do you know Pride in London 
so many years in mm. a row. Well, I only do Beyonce. It doesn't change. No, but like... So I, I try and up the ante every single time. And I, I think we have. Um, so, I've, yeah, there's a lot planned for this year. A, to make them all my performances very different. Yeah. I probably have probably four or five different performances over that Pride London weekend alone. So every one of them is going to be very different. Nice. We're not really repeating any songs or okay. versions of songs. Cool. I've got varying different acts and performers and dancers that are going to be part of it. So again, for me, it's just it all, as much as I'm doing it to up the ante, it all comes down to what do I want to do this year? Yeah. You know, when I watch mm-hmm. that video back, which I never really do actually, but when I think about what do I want it to look like, I always have this big vision in my head as to what it's going to look like, what song we're going to start with, what we're going to be wearing, what is our attitude going to be, who's going to be standing next to me. It, you know, I'm constantly thinking about these. I'm thinking about some of the performances now. I'm yeah. making costumes for them now. And Do you feel like a pressure to keep up with like Beyonce as, and her trends and her stuff as she as she like develops and stuff like that? Like, do you know? I think in my head, I do. I think, oh, if Beyonce releases a new costume on a tour, I must do that. And I must do this. And but actually, what I like doing is actually going back into the archive nice. and pulling out. Pulling out green light and pulling mm. out like that black PVC, <laughs> yes. you know, or the original Crazy in Love and things like that. And, mm. you know, I've always said this, like, Beyonce experience is very much my interpretation of Beyonce. Of course. If you want Beyonce, there's a gazillion videos that you can look yeah, at. Yeah, of course. And, and other, inter- uh, you know, and interpretations, other interpretations well. and drag impersonations. And there's some fantastic singers out there that do Beyonce tributes as well. What I try and bring, again, is... How can I make Beyonce work for me? That's so nice as well, because it was such an organic process to get you to this point. So the fact that you were able to just do it your way still and not feel Mm. that pressure to have to like, I don't know, like do a certain set or a certain song or a certain whatever. Do you have like, were you a Beyonce fan before this? I was a huge Beyonce fan. I remember (laughs) listening to Jake Dangerously in Love on the Survivor album when I broke up with my boyfriend at the age of like 17. And I was into that three o'clock in the morning in absolute tears. (laughs) I was a Destiny's Child Mm, fan from like the Wycliffe John. No, no, no. Mm. It was my sister that got me into like R&B really, specifically Destiny's Child. I'm the biggest Destiny's (laughs) Child fan. But if I think about it now, why was I such a big fan? And it comes down to, oh, look, there are black, powerful women on Top of the Pops. Right. And on a CD cover. Right. And again, like, it wasn't something I was used to. Mm. So I'm thinking, oh, this is something different. (laughs) Okay, so I literally am the biggest DC Free fan, and I, I am a really big Beyonce fan, but I'm not like the beehive You've got to be crazy if you're in the beehive. Like, you've got to be ready to like fight on the battlefield. You've got to be doing beehive. impersonations and certain sequence on. You Aaron. really do. <laughs> I don't, but we're all doing it. You know. So have you got like a, be- a favorite Beyonce song that you like to perform? Oh, it changes all the time. I bet it changes all the time. There's, there's obviously. I think there's the crowd pleasers that I just love because everyone just you know screams for them. Um, Black Pride last year was incredible because I was like, do you know what? I'm not going to do crowd pleasers. I'm going to do the songs that I want to do. Yeah, nice. But it's like everyone knew everything. Yeah, they're all crowd pleasers. They're all crowd pleasers, <laughs> they are. Um, I would say I still have a, a, a thing for single ladies because I actually remember watching single ladies on like the music channels back in the day. Yeah. 
um, and just like dancing in my living room to them. But obviously I was imitating the TV, so I was doing it in reverse. Okay. So it's really interesting to come and learn and think, oh no, it's that. It's, I'm doing the wrong it the completely man. wrong way. The wrong I thought I knew this down. Um, Grown Woman stands out for me. A, it was my first ever song I'd performed. I but bet. it's also probably one of the most underrated Beyonce songs. Because it was never really released. No. You know, it had a video, but it was never really released. But... I, I just, I hear that. As soon as those African beats come in, the Sweet Dreams remix with Eurythmics mm, is yes. the biggest crowd pleaser. But I for imagine. me, I'm like, oh, I love this. Especially like when she did it at Glastonbury. Like I use that all the time. It's so nice to see that, like when you talk about the things, you get excited and you're happy and you're, I can see your brain is like, oh, hang on a minute. Like that's, a, you know, like you haven't done that for a while and you're enjoying that. That's such a, like a really wonderful position to be in. I'm really pleased for you and I'm really proud <laughs> oh, of you goodness. in that sense. Where are we right now? Like, what are you doing? What are you planning? What's next? So at the moment, I've, I really kind of called myself back a bit and um, came out of the spotlight. We're still gonna be doing our big concerts every single year. We are going to be all over Pride this year. Um, again, I, I do Prides and I volunteer Beyonce for Prides because I feel it's so important to, mm, okay. you know, to be there, to be visible. Mm -hmm. And when mm -hmm. we talk about, you know, why do we have Black Pride and why do we need it? Mm -hmm. It, you know, it's still so important to be part of other Prides because I need to show my skin colour. Mm -hmm. You know, I need people to know that we are doing this and we and we are here. Um, what else are we doing? Um, we are going to be um, at the um, Adabelli at the South Bank. Are you really? Yeah, over summer as well. So get ready for some Saturday night like, parties. That's a big residency that's as well. That's a big one. I've, been, so. I've seen some really great shows that Aaron, that's incredible. Oh, yeah, yeah, now you're making me worried. Big, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it's an incredible like place to be. Like that is... Is I mean, it, I'm I'm absolutely in awe that they've even asked asked me to do something, and I'm thinking, but I'm so excited by it. I've already got a million things that's in my head. That's fun as well. That is just fun. So and yeah. What else? I mean, I'm I'm looking to do a lot more in terms of using Beyonce experience and also myself to to help others. Okay. And you know, a, a big part of that will be using the platform and using other platforms to really delve in with messages that people aren't hearing yeah. and what I mean about and it's, it's it's kind of what you're doing it's really about talking about you know queer stories mm. you know and giving people you know the platform to create those safe spaces whether they be digital online you know in parks wherever they may be um, Beyonce Experience is going to be a big part of that this year as well oh Aaron that's so nice to hear <laughs> thank you for um, thank you for saying that have you got like a mantra or like a message or like something that like... I instantly think about telling my younger self, <clears throat> everything's going to be all right. But mm. again, I don't want them to think it's going to be easy. No. <laughs> so I would definitely say if you want it to work and you're really willing to put in that hard work and sacrifice a lot of things to make it happen, it can happen. Okay. Beyonce said it once, and she said, you can give your best work, work absolute, you know, your absolute hardest, and still lose. Mm. So just be aware of that. Yeah. You know, just because you work hard, and, you know, you give it all your time, you can still lose. And that sounds quite negative, actually, to end on, but actually, at the same time, if you're aware of that, you're yeah. more likely to 
succeed because you're managing your own expectation. And if there's anything that you can do is manage that expectation. And it can change every day, but manage that. Okay. That's nice. I can hear the dog snoring I've now now got Bruce. (laughs) Bruce now sitting on me. It's your bedtime. Bruce, remember you, you have had a busy day. You have as many hours in the day as Beyonce. <laughs> as many hours in the day as Beyonce. He really does. And he spends most of them sleeping and still gets lots done. So. Thank Get you, Aaron. No, um, thank you so much. I, just... I really I li- I really love what you're doing. I love that you're you know, you're giving us this platform to not only tell other people, you know, our stories, but if like you say, if only ten people are inspired by this mm. They will be the next people that, you know, in five years' time, you're going to be interviewing them. And they're going to... The next one, the next one. Thank you. And I think that's a really key message, actually, is that, like, instead of being, like, what is it that we... What is it that we can't do? Or, like, what will I fail at this? Is like, what could this lead to? And I think that's something we aren't taught generally anyway. Mm. So to hear you say that that's literally just, like, your... Do you know what? It's definitely not in my nature. It's really not. Um, It's something where I feel... Could this lead to something else? I'm very much an opportunist. I nice. very much am. And I'm also not afraid to fuck it up. It's okay to fuck it up. You'll get over it. You really, really will. Whatever it is, whatever you fuck up, it will pass. Time will pass. That's actually such a nice, um, so n- nice to share because, again, it's something I wish I'd heard years and years Absolutely. ago. Absolutely. And, and, and it sounds a bit corny, but I genuinely live on opportunity and hope. Mm. The hope that this opportunity will lead to something else and to lead something else and to lead something else. And it generally will, no matter how small it is, it's the building blocks. I'm happy to put one Lego brick on another every single day. Mm. I'm not looking for a a big tower. I will do it piece by piece and then see what I've got at the end. Mm. Nice. Yeah, my therapist said start with where you are and what you've got. And um, I started to do that and then I'm... You know, you're right, it is gradually, you, are, you do begin to build this, this, Just this, layers, this build kingdom. those layers, absolutely. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you so much for listening to this episode today. Honestly, it means the world that you chose to join me. If you liked it, subscribe, and of course, please make sure that you share with your friends. I'd really like you to get involved in the conversation as well, so head over to Twitter or Instagram at LGBTQPillars, or you can get in contact at www.pillars.org.uk, where you can find out about upcoming events, all our guest profiles and contact me to get involved and remember we can't build a home out of broken bricks we need pillars